Revelation chapter 2. So, most of you know, I used to, uh, I used to work in the fire department. I was a paramedic firefighter for, for years before I became a pastor. And uh, <clears throat> so, firefighters, among other things, they're, they're known as being good cooks, typically, right? And, you know, they're having the, the, the firehouse meal and so on. And certainly that's true, but the majority of the time, you have to fend for yourself. And uh, I was stationed at battalion headquarters for a number of years, and uh, lots of guys there. And uh, so guys would bring in their, their meals, their lunch, their snacks, and uh, we each had, you know, a spot in the cupboard where we put our food. And from time to time, <clears throat> you would have folks that would help themselves to your food. And there was one guy in particular, he always had great food, great snacks, and, uh, and so on. And um, he was getting irritated because guys kept eating his food. So he decided one day that he was going to put an end to it once and for all. So he got a box of Cheez-Its, and uh, he emptied them all out, and he filled the bottom third of the box with cat poop, and then he put his Cheez-Its back in, stuck it there amongst his other things. Well, later on that day, uh, we hear a scream, followed by somebody running to the bathroom, and uh, you can imagine just what was taking place there as they discovered what was in there. Moral of the story is that you got to be careful what you eat. <laughs> and that's the big idea here of this message to, uh, to the church of Thyatira. And, uh, and we're going to look at that uh, together. Got to be careful what you eat, okay? So there you go. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> those are for you. Special box of Cheez-Its there. All right. Revelation uh, chapter 2, we'll pick it up in verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Jesus here is continuing his message to seven churches in Asia Minor, okay? These are, as we've, as we've seen and discussed, seven actual churches that existed when Jesus gave this vision to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos. And, and so it's a specific letter to specific churches. But it is also a, a, a letter that reveals the church's of church history, covering periods of time in church history. As well, it's a letter to you and me because we make up, us individually and us together corporately, we make up the church today. And so Jesus, as he writes these letters, what he's doing, he's giving his assessment of the church's condition. And so this applies across the board. The condition of the churches in Asia Minor at that time, 2,000 years ago, the condition of the churches in the various ages of church history, and the condition of you and me as the church of today of the 21st century. What we've looked at and discovered is that Jesus is actively involved in his church. And so he knows our condition, and he knows exactly what our works are. And he's describing himself here in the beginning verse of this address to the church of Thyatira to say, look, I am the Son of God. And, and as the Son of God, listen, Jesus reserves the right 
to step in and to encourage us and or to correct us as he sees fit. And so when he identifies himself as the son of God to Thyatira, it, what's, what's implied here, what he's conveying here is, listen, I'm the creator of everything. I'm the ruler of heaven and earth, and I'm the judge of the living and the dead. And so as the final judge, he's pictured here with, flames of fu- with eyes like flames of fire and feet like brass. Now, symbolic. Feet like brass. It, it, it pertains to, to, to God being, you know, brass, the symbol of, of, of strength and of judgment. And, and so, hey, I'm coming as the judge. And eyes like a burning fire. Look, I can see right through you, is what Jesus would say. We all come, we go out into the world, and we maybe come into church, and we wear various masks. We, we sort of are Wizard of Oz-like, hey, you know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain kind of attitude. But Jesus would say, I see right through you. I see right to your very soul. I know everything about you. And so knowing everything about us, knowing our condition, knowing our works, he reserves the right to step in and say, hey, listen, nothing escapes my assessment. Nothing escapes my judgment. The Apostle Paul, he wrote wrote to the Romans in Romans 14, he told them that we will all stand before God's judgment seat and we're all going to give account of ourselves to God. Every last one of us. Two things guaranteed in life. You will die and you will stand before God and be judged. And that is in a couple of different forms. If you are a person who rejects Jesus Christ, who says, I want to be or maybe even you, you believe, you, you will acknowledge, you'll tip the hat to, yeah, okay, Jesus is, is, you know, the Son of God, and I understand that there's a heaven and a hell, and I understand when I die, I'm going to go before God. But if your attitude is, I want to be judged based on my works. Hey, how do you know you're going to heaven? Because oh, I'm not Charles Manson. So I haven't killed anybody. Because I'm a decent guy. Because I'm better than that guy. I'm better than my neighbor. I, you know, I'm a Boy Scout troop leader. Whatever it is. I help old ladies across the street. I think I'm, I think I'm a good person. And so that's how I want God to judge me. Well, God says he will judge you according to your works. And in that place is called the great white throne judgment. Nobody wants to go there. Because the Bible says that our good works are as filthy rags to God. That there is none good, no, not one. That all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And the problem is the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And so what will happen is that when you die and you go to face God, if you have not received Christ but you have rather rejected Christ and you have said, I want to be judged according to my works, God will accommodate that. You will go to the great white throne judgment. Your works will be found lacking And you will have on that day a very sad day. Alternatively, if you are a follower of Christ, if you've surrendered yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if you have recognized that you are a sinner by nature and by choice, that you need to be rescued, and that you believe Jesus Christ is in fact the rescuer, if you make that confession and say... God, have mercy on me. Rescue me. Forgive me. Then the Bible says that he will, in fact, do that. And when you die, you will also face judgment. You will go before the judgment seat of Christ. And there, before the judgment seat of Christ, God will judge your works. And you're like, well, wait a minute. 
what's the difference between the great white throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ? The great white throne judgment, you're being judged by your works. At the judgment seat of Christ, your works are being judged for reward. It's already been settled, your salvation. Hey, I'm not being judged as to whether I get in or not. I'm getting into heaven. Thank you, Jesus. But there at the judgment seat of Christ, your works are going to be judged. And, and Paul put it this way in uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, on the, final, or on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. And so the things that you do as a Christian will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. They're going to go through the fire. And, and the Bible says some of, some of your works are like wood and hay and, and, and straw or stubble. And what happens to that when it goes through the fire? It's burned up. There ain't nothing left of it. And uh, there will be some people when they get to heaven in the smoking section that are like, you know, I, I'm, I got saved by the skin of my teeth and I'm in. Thank you, Jesus. But there's no reward. There's nothing that comes through. Others, the Bible says your works are going to go through like gold and silver and precious stones. And so what will happen there at the judgment seat of Christ is those things come through the judgment and they, they come out as, uh, as reward, as, a, as just this precious thing to God. And, and I mean, we trip out on that. Like what more reward is there in heaven than heaven in the presence of Jesus? I don't know, but the Bible says that the things that we do for him in this world that, we've, that have been done with a pure motive come, come through that, that judging uh, fire and they come out as, as honoring to God, reward uh, for, for our, our faithful uh, worship of him and so on. But the point I want you to see is that there is that fiery judgment and that's the picture <coughs> that Jesus starts off with here to the church of Thyatira. He says, look, my eyes are a burning, flaming fire. I see right through you, and I know everything about you. I know the motives of your heart, and I know what you're doing that's honoring, and I know what you're doing that is dishonoring. Nothing escapes my judgment. Now, why does Jesus begin here? Well, notice what he says next there. He says in verse 19, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. In other words, man, you do awesome stuff, and, and it's not like, you know, you burned out. It's like you just keep going. The Energizer Bunny, and you're doing all this stuff, and it's just, it's an increasing measure. <clears throat> but he says in verse 20, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Thyatira was doing some great stuff. They, they were, you know, just so energetic in the things that they did. Jesus says they're loving, they're faithful, they're serving, they're enduring, and their works are increasing. And a key idea and clue as to sort of the makeup of this church is that word service that he uses there in verse 19. Very telling. If you wanted to circle that nearby, you could, you could write the word deacon because that's, that's the, the word uh, that we get deacon from. And, and the idea is a deacon is someone who serves Jesus by helping with the physical needs of others. And that was Thyatira. Thyatira was a church that was very good at what you and I would call the social gospel. They, they were you know, focused on doing good in the community, uh, very socially active, very community-minded. Uh, they're good at seeing the needs of the people around them and meeting those needs. And so what Jesus says here is, look, I know all that. 
and I know that you do it with love. I know that you do it with faithful service. And I know you do it with patient endurance, which is, you know, when you're helping people, patient endurance is, is needed because, you know, it's been said the church would be a great place if it wasn't for all the people, you know. And so sometimes when you're helping people, they can, they can become, you know, difficult to help. And he says, look, I, I know all that. You do, you're doing all that and you do it with, with patient endurance. But he says there in verse 20, I have a few things against you. Now, let me ask you a question just to kind of get a sense of where Jesus is going. Does Jesus want, what, what, what is it that he wants in your life? Does, does he want your actions or does he want your heart? Does, does Jesus want you to act like a Christian or does he want for himself, Jesus, to be on the throne of your heart and that what you do is, is worshiping him as the Lord of your life? It's a rhetorical question because obviously he wants your heart. He wants to be the Lord of your life. And the point is is that it's possible to do awesome Christian things, but to not be saved. Jesus said this in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 7. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And when he says, I never knew you, that word never means never, ever, ever have I ever known you. That's what that means in, in the Greek. And so the, the point is, is that at the end of the day, your works aren't going to get you into heaven. And you can be part of the most uh, you know, community-minded church in the world and be you know, your schedule filled from morning till evening, in doing good works for other people, but that's not going to get you into heaven. And so what Jesus says to this church is he says, look, it's really good what you're doing, but I got to deal with what's going on first that's going to, in your life that's going to bring judgment to you if you don't repent of it. So nevertheless, verse 20, I have a few things against you because, here it is, you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, which is the worst way to be killed, I suppose. Uh, and, all, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Jezebel was one of the stars of the enemy in the days of 1 Kings chapter 16 through 20. Um, and, and Jezebel was a gal. She married King Ahab. King Ahab was, was one of the most evil kings that Israel ever had. Jezebel comes into this mix. Now, Jezebel's father was a priest of Ashtoreth. And, and basically, she was the goddess of sex. And so what 
Jezebel wanted to do, once she marries into the, the kingdom of Israel, what she wants to do is take Israel's worship of God and she wants to mix in with it. She wants to mix in the worship of Ashtoreth, the goddess of sex, and, and she wants to mix in with that as well, the worship of Baal, who was her male counterpart. Okay, so get what's going on. Jezebel wants to take the box of Cheez-Its and mix in a bunch of cat poop in it, all right? That's what she wants to do. And this is what she wants to feed to the nation of Israel. Wants to mix the things of the world with the church. And so what she did to further this is she gets the kingdom to build temples and, and fill it with priestesses. And these, these priestesses were, were basically prostitutes that would facilitate and help the people to worship the goddess Ashtoreth. And then further to facilitate it, what they did is they hired 800 prophets and put them on Israel's payroll. And so as you might imagine, there's those within the nation of Israel, specifically prophets within the nation of Israel, who stand up and they say, no way, Jose, this is not going down. This is an abomination and we are not going to stand for it. And they take a stand for righteousness. And when they do that, Jezebel starts killing them. So it's an, it's an incredibly precarious time in the nation of Israel. So during this time, you might recall the story of Elijah. He was one of these people who stood up and said, this is not right and I'm going to take a stand. And there's that famous stand that, that Elijah takes against the 450 prophets of Baal. To where they, they have a contest. He basically says, hey, you think your God is, is, is king? I think my God is king. So here, let's, let's have a showdown. You set up a, all the implements for a fire. Put a sacrifice up there on the wood. And you call down fire from your God. And, and then I'll do the same. And so you go first. And so these 450 prophets of Baal, they, they set up everything there. They've got the wood and all. And... And they're calling down fire and ain't nothing happening because they, their God ain't real, man. So they keep calling out. They're cutting themselves and doing all kinds of stuff and nothing's happening. And, and Elijah, the whole time, he's, he's mocking them. He's just making fun of them. At one point, he's like, hey, maybe your God's in the bathroom and he can't hear you, you know. He actually says this in the Bible. So he's, he's just mocking these guys. And then when finally nothing goes down, he says, all right, get out of the way. Let me, let me show you who's God. And so he, he says, but before I do, before I call fire down, that stuff's too dry, too ready to burn. Throw some water on it. So he has them throw all kinds of water on the wood for the sacrifice. And, and then when they're all done dumping a ton of water, he says, ah, there's not enough. Dump some more water on there. And dump some more water on there. And so finally, there's so much water that they pour all over the wood for the sacrifice that it fills up a trench of water all around the thing. Everything's soaking wet. And then he says, and then he calls for, for God. And God consumes everything. The, 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 the wood, the, 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 the sacrifice, all the priests of Baal, it just it consumes them all because he's God. Now, right on the heels of this, word gets to Elijah that Jezebel is coming after him and he's stricken with fear and he runs for his life. And a lot of guys, they'll, they'll make fun-ish of, of Elijah and say, well, he stood up to 450 prophets of Baal and then one woman comes and starts, you know, threatening him and then all of a sudden he runs off like a schoolgirl scared, you know. 
Well, it's because she's earned this fearsome reputation. She's, she is just ruthlessly silencing anybody that would dare to say that, no, don't mix your worldly, paganistic, satanic things with the things of God. She was ruthless against it. Now, let me ask you, isn't that exactly what we're seeing today in our day and age? Absolutely, we're seeing that. Just a few examples. Right now, our government is forcing Christian corporations and churches, I might add, to provide health care coverage that provides abortions. They're forcing them to. As a matter of fact, there's a lawsuit currently pending to fight against this, but they're, but they're forcing organizations to do that, and they're saying, you know, you don't have a choice. We're going to make you do this. We're going to make you mix your worship of God with, with our Jezebel precepts. This is what you're going to do. They're, they're forcing, another example, privately held Christian uh, wedding venues to facilitate homosexual marriages. And if they will not, they are fining them, they are revoking their licenses, they are approving lawsuits. All of this is going down right this moment. They, they are fining, currently, Christian business owners who decide that they want to turn down a contract that violates their faith, and they're saying, no, you can't do that. Because you're a corporation. So, so you as a corporation, you as a company, you can't do You as an individual, you know, okay, you can take a stand for your faith, but your company can't. Somehow, you know, you magically stop being a Christian when you become a company, according, according to the, the, the way the law is moving right now. There currently is this undercurrent within our, our nation that, that says, and this is being foisted upon, it's, it's being discussed very openly and seriously, it basically says, look, if, if Christian churches decide that they are going to hold to dark age standards, is what they call them, I'll give you a quote in just a minute, if they want to hold to dark age standards, well, okay, whatever, you're going to read your Bible, okay, you're going to even live by your Bible, okay, Mr. Backwoods, dark age person, but what we're going to do is we're going to take away your tax-exempt status. You're not going to be able to enjoy tax exemption as a, as a nonprofit entity if you're going to insist on holding to, to these biblical standards. You're all familiar, no doubt, with WikiLeaks and the things that have been coming out. Um, there's one exchange between a, 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 a high political figure. He's having a conversation with another person. They're talking about... Churches, and this is actually a quote, they, they, they're figuring out how to, quote, demand the end of a Middle Ages dictatorship and the beginning of a little democracy and respect for gender equality in the church. This is a conversation happening right now that, hey, those they guys, they live in the dark ages, can't we kind of infiltrate the, their, their ranks with some people that are going to demand that the, we move out of the dark ages, by their opinion, and so, so this is going on right now. And I'll tell you, here's what the church in America, the church in the world today, here's what it would be like if the world had their way and they could design it. Here's what the church would be. The church would give, the church would meet needs, it would be at all the disasters, and it would do all the help, the good, the, the good helping kind of stuff 
But as it pertains to moral absolutes, no, they would embrace and condone every lifestyle that the world wants to live. This is the way the church would run if the world had its way. That they would just tolerate whoever, however, whatever, whenever, but that we'd still give handouts. So, so what's happening today, and Jesus says here, he goes, look, just as the first Jezebel was allowed to completely contaminate the people of God in Israel, so too, Jesus now says, there's a type of Jezebel in the church in Thyatira. And listen, the church in Thyatira is alive and well today. And as we're going to see, it's going to be, well, not well, that's a relative term, but it is alive and active today. And it's going to be alive and active all the way up until the, until the, the, the end of the world. When, when the, the days of tribulation come, the church of Thyatira is actually going to go and go into the days of tribulation. I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get there in just a minute. And here's what Jesus says to these guys. He says, you allow it. That's his complaint against the church of Thyatira. He goes, look, this is going down. Jezebel wants to come in, wants to pour her cat poop into your box of Cheez-Its, and you allow it. You're like, well, all right, mix it on in there. Now, let me clarify what's being said here and what isn't being said here, because I need you to hear this. What's not being said is that the world is not welcome to come to church. That's not what's being said here. Jesus, you may recall, Mark chapter 2, he's there and he's ministering, and he's being ridiculed by the religious leaders because he goes into the, the home of a tax collector to eat with these notorious sinners, and the religious leaders begin to condemn him. And Jesus says in reply, it says, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." And so the church is a place for people who are infected with sin. That's everybody. Everybody's welcome who is infected with sin. And what are they welcome to? They're welcome to come and meet with Jesus. And therein lies the rub for most of the world. Because they don't want to come in and meet with Jesus and hear that there's a righteous standard and that there's a way that leads to death that it's a broad road of destruction and everybody and their brother is on the broad road of destruction, but there's a narrow path that leads to life and there's few that find it and the world detests that message because they want to stay on the broad path. And so what what they do and what they insist in is, no, we don't want to come and hear about Jesus. We want to come and hear that what we're doing is fine. We want our ears to be tickled and for everything to be hunky-dory. So what's not being said here by Jesus is that the world isn't welcome to come to church. What Jesus is saying is that the teaching of the world is not welcome at church. That's what he's saying. He's saying sinners can come all day long. But any Jezebel that wants to come in and start mixing the ways of the world and the things of the world in with the things of Christ, that is not welcome here. We're not going to tolerate teaching that says... We're tolerant, in other words. We're not going to tolerate, you know, teaching that says, hey, you know, diversity, open-mindedness. You know, God's a God of love, and, you know, we don't judge you, and come on in, and the more the merrier. You know, just just ain't going to happen. There was, Brent and I came home on Friday night. Maybe you've heard the news, but there was a, there was a car crash on Friday night in, in Temecula. It was a horrible uh, fatality. Uh, you know, it, uh, we're, we're driving down to our house there, and, all of a sudden, the intersection is filled with, with all the emergency vehicles. And I'm, I took one look at it. I said, there's a fatality there. 
And I just knew they had that it all taped off and the firefighters not going with any urgency whatsoever. I said, the, the, that's, that's, we just began to pray for the person. Well, the back story is, and I don't know if this is true, this is hearsay, but, but the, the story that I heard was basically a person hit a mos- motorcycle rider uh, and then started speeding to escape. It was, a, it was a hit and run kind of thing. And the guy on the motorcycle wasn't you know, severely injured. He began to chase this person. And the guy who, was, who had hit the motorcyclist, he was doing like 80 miles an hour, blew through a red light, and he got T-boned by a car going, just going on their, you know, their way through the green light and, they, and killed him instantly. And now, now, this wasn't the case, but, but I think of, what if there was somebody in that car with that guy? What if that person sitting in the car with that guy immediately said, dude, pull over. Dude, what you're doing is not right. You're going to get somebody hurt or you're going to get yourself killed. Pull over. And, and, and you know, what, what if there was that person? But what if there was a person in there who didn't say any of that stuff? They knew all that stuff. They wanted maybe to say that stuff, but they just kept their mouth shut and they just let this person blow through. Listen, if that person were to be then T-boned in that scenario, the person that's riding shotgun with them would have blood on their hands. And this is the issue of the church today, is that there is a world that's, that's, that's careening down the road at 80 miles an hour, it's going to hit something hard, and, and somebody in love has to stand up and say, you're going to kill yourself. That's love. You see, and that's what the church is called to do. But the church in Thyatira was saying, nah, you know what, we're not going to say that. We're going, to let, we're going to let Jezebel come in and just mix her, her whole thing all together and, and we're just going to keep our mouth shut. We are, as Jesus says, you allow it. And that's what's going on here. And so notice, Jesus says, you allow that woman to teach and seduce my kids with all that trash. Notice what he says there in verse 21 again. He says, I gave her time to repent. Listen, Jesus will always give you time to repent. He'll always give you time to repent. And maybe that's a message that some of you need to hear today. Maybe today you would hear this word of, look, you can't mix the things of the world with the things of Christ. You can't live a life where you, you, you've got your life of Jesus all mixed up with something that, is, that belongs in the trash. You can't live that way. And listen, Jesus' word to this church, and maybe his word to you this morning is repent. Repent means to change direction. Maybe today that's what you need to hear. You need to hear you can't keep living the way you're living. You have to repent. And you need to know that Jesus will always give you time to repent. There's only one problem. You never know when your time is up. Never know. Listen, the Bible says that your days are numbered. Every last one of them. And if you say, you know what, I'll repent tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come. Look, that's not a scare tactic. That's just, that's just life. I wonder about that young man whose life ended on, on Friday night. You never know. So Jesus says, look, I, I gave her time to repent, but she did not. And so basically, <laughs> what he goes on to say, <clears throat> look, I'm casting her into a sick bed, and I'm going to cast everybody else who wants to follow her, I'm going to cast you all into a sick bed. 
In other words, look, if you're so bound and determined to get in bed with the world, then I'm going to let you choke on it. I'll just, I'll, you can die in that bed, is what Jesus is saying. So, <laughs> he says there in verse 22, in, Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Now, question there. Is he, ta- is he saying that this church, that everybody who is going to embrace <coughs> the doctrine of Jezebel, that they're going to go into the great tribulation? Interesting question. Now, just, just a little bit of information here. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've heard the, this term, the great tribulation. You probably have a sense of what the great tribulation is. Is Just in case you don't, and it's cool if you don't know, we're going to tell you. We're going to get into this in detail in chapter 4 when we get there. But, but just, just a, a rough idea. What's, what's the great tribulation? What's the deal? What's this all about? See, the short explanation is this, is that God at some point is going to return. Jesus is going to return to the earth at some point to judge sin. He's going to deal with Satan and the demons and and the unrepentant on this earth. And he's going to bring a final judgment to the earth. And and before he does that, the Bible teaches that he's going to rescue his church. That before his wrath is poured out, he's going to take his church out of the way. You think of Noah's Ark. God was going to judge the world. and And he poured out his wrath upon the earth by flooding the earth. But what did he do with the righteous remnant? created the ark. He put, he put Noah and his family into the ark. He, he, he sealed the ark up. He took them away out of the, the judgment that he was going to bring, the wrath that he was going to bring on an unrepentant world. Same way he's going to do that with us. Now, it's debated. When is that going to take place? When is Jesus going to take his church up? When is he going to rapture his church? By the way, people will say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. And technically, our English word rapture isn't necessarily in the Bible, but here's where we get it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, basically it tells us there in verse 17 that when Jesus comes back, that he's he's going to take his church out of the way. It says that we who are alive and remain when Jesus comes back are, are going to be caught up together to meet him in the air. And that phrase caught up in the Latin Vulgate is raptus. We get, the, we get the word rapture from that. That's where the word comes from. And so what the Bible teaches is that when Jesus comes back to judge and to pour out his wrath, that he's going to take the church out of the way before his wrath falls. This is where the debate comes in in Christian circles because people say, well, does he rapture the church before the great tribulation, the great wrath that's going to be poured out? Does he take them out during the the tribulation? Does he take them out at the end of the tribulation? And this is expressed in Christian terms, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. We're going to look at all of this in chapter 4. I, just so you know, I come from a a pre-trib Bible understanding. That's my eschatology. I believe that, that the church will be taken out before the tribulation, and I'll, I'll make my case for that in chapter 4. But assuming that this is talking about this pre-trib rapture, then what the only possible scenario as we read this, when he says, look, I'm going to cast her into a sickbed, all the people with her into a sickbed, 
into great tribulation, what he's saying is, look, these people have chosen to live a life contrary to Jesus and not surrender their life to Jesus. So consequently, when Jesus comes and he takes his church out of the way, they're not really part of his church. They might be part of a church, but they're not part of his church. And so they are going to stay and go through the great tribulation. Now, there will be Christians who go through the great tribulation. There's going to be a rapture of the church. God's going to take his faithful away. And everybody that's left is going to go, my Aunt Betty, who loved the Lord, told me about this time. You know, there's going to be people who recognize in the tribulation period that, you know, this is the Bible coming true, and there will be those who repent. There will be those that turn to the Lord. That's a, that's a testimony of God's goodness and his faithfulness and his desire that none should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. But this scenario here, as we look at this, we conclude what he's, what he's saying there. I conclude what he's saying there is, look, if you're going to live unrepentant, if you're going to embrace Jezebel and all that she is, and you're not going to surrender your life to the Lord, then, then this is going to be where you're going to go. This is what's going to happen, you're going, is you're not going to, to be saved. Now, there's a question that comes up, and it's not part of the text, but I want to deal with it. And here's the question. The question says, okay, I get it. Unrepentant people, people that haven't surrendered their life to Jesus, they're going to go through the tribulation. But what about those Christians who are really Christians, but they blow it a lot? Like, you know, I got this friend, and, and he, just, he just, you know, he blows it a lot, you know. Got this friend who just blows it a lot. And, and what about them? Well, here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Christians can sin to a point to where God kills them. Did you know that? There's a couple of scriptures here that teach us this. First of all, 1 John chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. John says this. He says, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask... And he will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All righteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. You're like, well, that clears it all up for me right there, right? Here's what John is saying. First sentence there, basically, is he says, look, if you see your brother, now, first of all, if you see your brother, so what's the context of all of this? Your brother, a Christian. Somebody has surrendered their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? But they're involved in sin. And he says, if you see that, and, and it, which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. In other words, you see somebody in sin, you pray for them. That's the, that's the idea there. But what he goes on to say is that there is sin that leads to death. Now, it's a difficult concept for us to understand. We have a, an example of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'll put this one on the screen for you as well. This is in, in relation to the partaking of communion. And Paul is talking to the Corinthians how they, you know, they would get together for, for communion. And you know, some of them, they, they're just supposed to be recognizing Jesus' 
died and, and gave his life, the bread representing his body, the cup representing his blood, shed on the cross, forgiveness of our sins. We're supposed to do this often in remembrance of him, but the Corinthians were getting together for communion, and some of them were getting drunk on the communion wine. Others were eating all the food before everybody got there. They just were not living out their faith in, in, a, in a righteous way. And so what Paul said to the Corinthians, he says, let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Here it is. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Listen, what Paul is saying here is that with these Christians in Corinth, there were some of them that were so acting so disrespectfully and so disgracefully at the Lord's Supper that, that, hey, you know what? Some Some of them died. And he goes on to, to explain that their death came not as a condemning judgment, but that their death came as a corrective judgment. I'll put this on the screen for you as well. He says, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. In other words, here's what Paul is saying. It all comes down to this. Apparently, a believer can sin to the point to where God says, you know what, the best thing I can do for this guy is take him out. Just take him home. I had a guy in, in my Bible college class. I was teaching, I'm teaching homiletics right now at the Bible college. And one of the guys a few weeks ago had a buddy of his. Struggling Christian, just in and out of sin. Loved the Lord, trying his best to walk with the Lord. But man, just kept falling back into drugs. And he overdosed and he died. And he was worried about his eternal salvation. And I said, listen, the Bible says there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. The only sin that God can't forgive is the sin of unbelief. And so if this man believed in the Lord and was trusting in Jesus' work on the cross for his salvation, yeah, he wasn't doing what he should and he died, but listen, he, he wouldn't lose his salvation. And sometimes what happens in, in situations and circumstances to where, where God says, man, the best thing I can do is, is to bring him home. Look, you don't want that to be the testimony of your life. God saved you for a purpose. He does, you don't want to just go, oh, great, I got, my, I got my fire insurance. I live any way I want to. And can God get to the place to where I just got to take you out. You, you're going to do more harm than, than good. And yeah, you're saved, but man. Now, I, I just throw that in there. That's not exactly what's being said here. What's being said here is, look, repent or, or you're going to go into the great tribulation. That's the, the whole message that, that Jesus is giving here. And, and notice there in verse 22, he says, I'm, or verse 23, he says, I will kill her children with death. The, the idea is pestilence. They're, they're, you know, the children are going to be killed with disease. And, all, and what happens? All the churches shall know that I'm he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your work. So what, what Jesus says is, look, I'm not messing around. I'm going to deal with sin. And, you know, some of you go, man, I, I don't like that picture of Jesus. You know, where's the trippy hippie Jesus with a peace sign, man? You know, the holding the lamb. I like that Jesus. That's not Jesus. See, he came as a suffering servant, but he's returning as a righteous judge. And he's going to deal with sin. And we have to get it right. Today, listen, if God's word to you is repent, you have to get it right. You have to hear his voice. 
His message isn't, if it feels good, do it. That's not the message of Christ. His message is repent. And so we continue in verse 24, and he says this, Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan as they say. See, this teaching of Jezebel was, look, you got to know the sin. And to really appreciate, you know, what you've got in Jesus, you, you know, you, you have to really be engaged in sinful activity and, and all. Just know the depths and the dirtiness of it, and, and you got to know it, you know. And, and Jesus is saying, that's baloney. He says, what I'm saying to you and to the rest in Thyatira, he says, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, he says, I will put on you no other burden. I'm not going to heap rules and regulations on you. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. Here's my word to you. Hold fast what you have till I come. Listen, just hang on to Jesus, baby. As things get difficult, and they will get difficult, as the world tries to press you into its mold, hold fast. Hold fast in Jesus Christ. And here's his promise. He says that he who overcomes... And keeps my works until the end. To him I will give power over the nations. No doubt a a nod to the millennium. When the Bible says that, you know, Jesus after he deals with Satan and his demons during the great tribulation period. That he's going to take possession of the earth. And that we are going to rule and reign together with him here for a thousand years on this earth. And this is what he's talking about. Look, if you overcome, you keep my works. Uh, I'm going to give you power over the nations. Verse 27, he shall rule them with a rod of iron and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. See, when a conquered king in the, or a conquering king rather in the Old Testament would conquer a nation or a people, he would take a clay pot and he would write the name of the nation or the people on that clay pot and then he would smash the pot. He would crush it. And it was a symbol that says, I'm ruling and I'm reigning over you. Now, this is what Jesus is saying here. And he says, as I also have received from my father, and I will give him, you, the person that overcomes, that endures, the morning star. This is a a picture of Jesus. Jesus is the morning star. Look, I'm going to give you Jesus. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here's God's word to you today as we draw to a close. Jesus says, endure. He says, don't fill your box of Cheez-Its up with the crap of the world. That's what he says. Okay? Don't let it happen. Endure. And Jesus says, I myself will be your reward.